welcome back to another episode of Oh My Lit. This is your co-host Tanuja. And this is Reza. And we have a very special episode because we have an incredible guest today. Yes, I'm so excited we got this author. And it's been everywhere. It has a beautiful cover talking about the book Rootless. It's a debut novel from Crystal Appiah. And I think we're just really lucky that we could get her on board. And without further ado, please welcome Crystal to the pod. I'm so excited to have Crystal on our podcast. Crystal Zarapia is a Ghanaian writer and screenwriter. She was born and raised in London and she has worked all corners of publishing. She has a degree in literature and creative writing. Then she was one of the London Library's Emerging Writers Program, one of the 40 authors selected. She was an editor at Macmillan Children's Books. And at Novelry Now, she helps authors create and meet like the highest standards of their book that they can. And now she is a published author. So uh, an all-rounder in publishing. Welcome uh, so much, Crystal. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome. I'm just going to apologize to you, Crystal, because I am suffering from, I guess there's a bug going around, and I'm probably not going to speak too much today. But, you know, Rosa Rosa's going to cover me. Also, if I could speak, I would not stop talking about your book. <laughs> It did not feel like a debut novel. It felt like mm-hmm. I was reading somebody I've re- been reading for ages. Yeah, it was extremely well built. We both enjoyed it so much. We really are so grateful to have had an ARC and to be able to interview you. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> nice. So for starters, to get to know us a little bit better, we would love for you to tell us your favorite story from your childhood. Oh, like a story I read or like a thing that happened? <laughs> oh, a thing that happened, I was thinking. But if you want to say a story you read, I I absolutely love stories. Um, I can do both. Let me think about it. A story I read would probably be Can't You Sleep, Little Bear? It's like a picture book about this little bear that doesn't want to go to bed. It's adorable. I used to get my older sister to read it to me like at least 10 times. I didn't have to go to sleep. I probably just had a photo, basically. (laughs) That's so cute. That's very adorable. What about the story from your childhood? I guess growing up with lots of sisters and cousins and stuff, we were always putting on little shows and dance performances. And there were plenty of times when I like formed little girl groups and was convinced I'd be like the next Beyonce. That that was my <laughs> moment to Wow, I can totally imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> all doing the choreo. We would, we would all be wrong. We would be terribly wrong. <laughs> oh. No, but I can see that. Like, I love the fact, like, growing up with lots of cousins, you have such confidence and you have, like, this group of friends already. So yeah. that must have been lovely. I had the same where I had a mic, which was probably a hairbrush, and we would sing. Yeah. But mostly I was the backup dancer. I think my cousins would have the mic. <laughs> That's okay. Even backup dancers have their moments to shine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we weren't the kind of like doing shows. We would play Dungeons and Dragons and Vampire and different <laughs> role playing games. Like, of course so cool. you did, Rosa. <laughs> There's no surprise. No one is surprised. <laughs> Me and my 15 cousins will have like long games during the holidays because it was the only time that we were all together. But it was. Great, lovely. They would allow me to be a pet because I was one of the little ones. So that was my <laughs> role. 
<laughs> we wanted to talk about childhood because in your book you talk a lot about children you tell the story of a couple that love each other very much and they have a child and this child even though it brings a lot of happiness it also brings a certain chaos and uh, a certain restructuring of the couple and a certain restructuring of their personal lives you talk about mental health you talk about how relationships grow change and evolve and you talk a lot about your the image of yourself once you have a child i had a baby seven months ago so <laughs> I, congratulations thank you he's lovely but i really connected with some things that you talk in your book mm. some good things and some bad things which is it's it's real to life yes it's it's very real it's very real having a baby it changes your life a lot a lot. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what was your inspiration for this book? Are you a mother? Do you have a connection with motherhood? Yeah, well, I am not a mother and I've made a conscious decision to not be one in future. Um, and I think that was a big part of the book, basically, yeah, to work out what would happen if someone who was very sure they didn't want to be a parent decided mm -hmm. to do that and kind of gave in to the pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just because I think that was something I was really interested in and wanted to see what it would look like and just mm -hmm. loved the idea of this couple who are essentially soulmates. They really want to be together, um, yeah. but they just don't want the same future and working out what it would look like for them to kind of navigate that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very rough one because you can be so sure of one thing when you get together with one person and you want to make them happy and make yourself happy mm -hmm. with them. But there are things that you cannot agree at all and that will be forever problematic in your partnership. And having children is one of those. I really love how you describe the changes of the relationship in a very non-judgmental way. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's funny to come up with these people and they just start to take on a life of their own. So I think Sam and Efe are that couple who I kind of felt like I was just observing their relationship and being like, what would they do next? Or what makes sense for them? And it's really nice yeah. that hopefully it comes across as just showing what they went through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's another thing that you also talk about that is like the the identity of being Ghanaian in London, being separated from your older life and being put in a completely different place with different climate that is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the immigrant experience and looking for each other. I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that, like about creating your own family once you immigrate to somewhere. Yeah, I guess that's it, because realistically, like, as people were taught that family looks a certain way, that it's like you grow up, you get married, you start your own family, even mm. though there are so many more ways to have a family. Mm -hmm. And I think there can be a lot of pressure to do things a certain way or to, you know, be parents and have kids and buy a house and do all those things that kind of expected yeah. when you're adults. But that's not the only way. And sometimes people have different priorities or different things that make up a family. Mm -hmm. And also family is normally wider, um, particularly in immigrant communities, like fam families wider than just people who live in your home who have mm -hmm. the same DNA as you. It could be more blended families. Like I think of my cousins as really close and basically are also siblings. And I think that can be something that's quite common, that family isn't just limited, but it's so much wider to, yeah. I guess, the good and the bad, because suddenly all those people also have opinions. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion and they all want you to follow it. <laughs> I've noticed that a lot with having a baby that everyone is telling me how to parent. Yeah, how do you find it? <laughs> <laughs> I am a bit temperamental, so I'm not taking it so well, but I'm learning. <laughs> That's okay, yeah. 
I guess that's it. You kind of take on what works for you and dismiss what you're like. Yeah, definitely not that. Now that you were saying it, you talk also about how your support system is not always supportive or not always supportive in the way that you'd like them to be. <laughs> uh, but instead, they try to, let's say, change your life in the way that they think it's the correct one. But we all choose our own story. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that that was something quite difficult to write and at the same time a bit therapeutic <laughs> to be able to tell at least in in writings to someone oh come on like just let me be I'm gonna make my own choices mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely I remember going through that yeah as like a teenager and deciding I wanted to study English and having a lot of resistance for that and being yeah. like, well, write books <laughs> which is funny just because I think with family and friends of course they just have an image of what they think you're like yeah and some parts could be true some parts could be inaccurate and of course people find it really scary when you're going outside of those bounds and it's normally from a good place where people want to protect you and care and like want to push you in the direction of something that's safe yeah. but at least yeah. in writing the book I really wanted to show that there's something to taking risks something to pursuing what you actually genuinely want as opposed to what you think will make other people happy yeah 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 and at the end of the day you have to make your own choices and in this book you show it in a beautiful way because not everyone is happy with Effie's choices but she still goes and perseveres and tries to make her own path which i thought was it was gorgeous and it was it was great to read it saying like oh yeah she was able to do it <laughs> no oh thank you I really love the character of Ify and all the changes that she goes through. Uh, you use the the archetype of the maiden, mother, and crone. Were you intentionally like using these three archetypes of womanhood, or is this something that just that I'm reading into uh, in between lines? <laughs> it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. I think what mm -hmm. I really wanted to show was just how different relationships kind of worked in the book and mm -hmm. particularly mother-daughter relationship mother-son relationship and couples and just also the different parents in the book like I really wanted to show a breadth mm -hmm. of relationships and a breadth of people making different choices and I guess it just yeah as a writer I guess things subconsciously probably slip into your books a bit <laughs> and I guess people change and just yeah I guess archetypes do come from a place where sometimes there's something really innate in that or really mm -hmm. resonant that like reflects across a lot of books so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I have told you, like, I felt very much connected to the character of Ify and going through all those changes and not knowing really how to confront them or what is mm -hmm. actually going on and how to deal with it. You also talk about mental health and about mental health in womanhood and in a Black family, in a Black African community that can be more difficult to talk about mental health. My partner is Nigerian and every time that he's talked about mental health in his family, about grieving and about going through difficult moments, it's always been such a fight that I've, I've been able to see from the front line being like, oh, I'm just happy I'm not in this position. But I also thought that it was incredible how you described postpartum depression. For not being a mom, like I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, my first four months were absolutely horrid <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. it's okay now I laugh it's all good <laughs> but 
but for not being a mother, I was super amazed on how you described postpartum depression. Is this something you did a lot of investigation on or? Funny enough, and I don't remember doing a lot of research into it. I think, <laughs> I guess I probably just have quite a lot of references to pull from, whether that's my own mm -hmm. mental health or books or films, we really see character struggle. Mm -hmm. And of course, early in the book, F.A. has other depression that's not quite diagnosed, um, at least not mentioned by name, I believe. And I think it's just wanting to show that she was really struggling and showing what that looked like on a day-to-day -day level without necessarily popping a medical term on it, particularly coming her coming from an African household mm -hmm. and growing up in Ghana, like that's not necessarily something that's commonly talked and spoken about or accepted. Mm -hmm. So I definitely wanted to make sure. It's very similar in India as well. So I exactly knew where all of that was coming from. Yeah. You can't really speak about. In fact, after you become a mother, especially, you can't say anything except how happy you are mm. to have yeah. this child. Yeah. yeah. And anything apart from that is just seen as you being like a bad mother. Mm -hmm. And I actually found reading this a bit. Like it was a beautiful read, but a heavy read for me because I haven't gone through any of that, but my parents are behind my life mm -hmm. to get married, to have kids, to like go through the whole like 10 steps to adulthood. <laughs> this is what you're going to do now. <laughs> and I have mental health issues. So actually for me, whenever I think about having kids, the first thing I think about is postnatal depression yeah. on how it would affect me to have kids. Uh -huh. Like I'm not even thinking about anything else. Like that's my biggest fear when it comes to having kids. Yeah, I think that's actually very reasonable like I think particularly when you yeah. struggled knowing everything that comes with pregnancy in general but yeah and then how hard it is afterwards it's just nope I just I feel like there are no positives I felt like you must have done a lot of research but I'm surprised but also like pleasantly surprised to find out that you've pulled from like references that you know instead of you know like going in depth just felt very authentic mm -hmm. and emotional coming through i have to say I, I love my child i i am very grateful that i had him love of my life all those things at the same time pregnancy is not fun <laughs> the moment mm. of having a baby it's not fun and postpartum was quite rough and i kept saying to to my key worker i kept telling her like if i was in barcelona with a beer in my hand i wouldn't be having postpartum depression like with all my family around me and she kept telling me, very, she's very patient, I love her. She kept telling me like, Rosa, you're not in Barcelona with a beer in your hand. Just talk to the people around you and ask for help. Uh -huh. I'm very grateful uh, for the NHS and the services that we have here because I'm not sure if I had postpartum depression back in Spain, I would have been treated like I was treated here. That's really good that that exists then and those services really support. Yes. People. I don't know if it's in all Spain, but in some families in Spain, like mental health is still like quite frowned upon. I remember that I had mm -hmm. a very anxious episode. Like I cracked one of my teeth. I had like bald spots oh. in my head. It's okay. It happens. <laughs> and I told my father and my father told me, Rosa, that's normal. I also have bald spots in my head. And I was like, no. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not normal. You also have anxiety. <laughs> 
it sounds like another conversation needs to happen yeah i had to explain to yeah. him like it's mm -hmm. not that we're okay <laughs> everyone else is <laughs> i think it's very important to bring these things up front and i think it's very brave to do it from motherhood because motherhood is so romanticized and so idealized that i love whenever i read a book that tells you hey, this is also part of it. Yeah, yeah. I find it interesting because actually I spoke to a friend recently who had a baby mm -hmm. a few months ago. I think something happens where people feel like they need to protect, particularly women, I guess, from yeah, knowing how bad it can be at points. Um, mm -hmm. I, just, I don't think that's helping anyone. I think it means that people go in to being parents and really struggle and feel like it's not normal or feel yeah. like they can't ask for help or feel like they should kind of get through it on their own but for years and particularly in some countries like that's never been the case you're never expected to get on with it there's a support system around you for a reason because everyone knows it's hard yeah, yeah I found that being here in London it's so lonely like I have friends and I have great friends Tanu being one of them yeah. but we're all so far away from each other that I cannot be like hey can you just come and take care of baby yeah. for half an hour so I can nap yeah <laughs> But bitch, you didn't tell me you had postpartum depression the first four months. You didn't speak to me. I I would have been there. I didn't care how far we were. I would have been there. You know. I that. couldn't talk. I wasn't the peak, dude. <laughs> Let me be. <laughs> be thankful that I was recording. Like that's all I could do. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it's okay. I've passed it. It's okay. I've survived. You know, this is such a poignant novel and it's your debut like i can't believe it's your debut Crystal. like it doesn't <laughs> feel like it I, I swear to god it does not how is it like you were part of the 40 writers and you've been mm -hmm. working in publishing how is the whole journey like when did you get signed and how's it been since like yeah just just like doing press tours and you've seen your book in person now and um before that you must have had to go through edits with your agent and your publisher and, and you are an editor so you know what that feels like from the other side how is the whole experience it's been gosh it's been a whirlwind <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny I guess starting from when I decided to properly give the book a go was I guess in the pandemic sometime I'd written chunks of it mm -hmm. and like probably like a full draft and knew that I kind of, there was something about the characters I really liked mm -hmm. and something about the story that made me think I should I should put more time in this. At least I started to care more. And then, of course, around the same time, I joined the London Library's Emerging Writers Programme, which was just really brilliant. The kind of meaning I had to show up for my book more. I had to show up every other yeah. week. We did our little peer group did, like, like check-ins basically we'd share work and little feedback sessions which are really great so mm -hmm. that meant I really had to show up my book and there were lots of incredible oh, that's good. yeah speakers who came in as well so it was just I learned a lot I yeah. just kind of had to get serious about the book good well with all that feedback did you like go in and change things like I, I just want to know when you had the conception of this story did it change massively um, or have you stuck to the core of the story throughout? So whenever I start writing, I always know, I say whenever I start writing, like I've done this a billion times um, <laughs> for my first book. <laughs> um, I always know the beginning and the end of the story, but the okay. middle does change mm -hmm. quite a lot. And I think 
not so much of that group, but when I signed with my agent, actually, the structure changed quite a bit. It was a little more mm-hmm. complicated. And the chapters from Sam's point of view were mm-hmm. either yeah. at one point, kind of the beginning and the end and the middle, Epe took up so much space yeah. or I tried yeah. to alternate them, but it was a bit confusing. So I ended up with something where we kind of see in the beginning them at kind of breaking point and then go back to understand how they got there, which is just a lot yeah. cleaner in terms of structure. And um, it means that you can kind of oh, wow. interesting their relationships, highs and lows. Yeah. I focused mostly on, mostly on FA, to be honest, but probably just because, like, I... I championed her. I I cried for her. I fell for her. I I have to say I was very one sided with her <laughs> in that relationship as a reader. Yeah, that's really interesting. That structural edits can make such a difference. Yeah, yeah. It really changed whose side of story was coming out, and I guess means that some people end up taking sides, which I really like. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how the book is structured because you have like these episodes going month to month and checking how did we get here? Like you start in the present and then you go to the past and then we see how the relationship and how everything has changed and evolved to get us to the first episode. It's super interesting as a structural mechanism. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think I just really liked it because I knew where they would end up um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to explore yeah. The good times, the place where the relationship were growing, um, the times where they didn't necessarily treat each other well, um, mm-hmm. and then also see what happened after that breaking point and how they would find their way back to each other and what that might look like. As I said earlier, you do it in a very non-judgmental way because I th- at some points I thought, oh, I don't like them. Like, I don't like how they're treating each other. But I have done that. To my partner we all have been like good people and bad people at the same time because yeah. we're all human beings yeah i i really felt like i was judging sam too much. <laughs> oh yeah so many like, people like i was like same I, was, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I did not but i think that's what made it interesting because the the good times were like okay like the potential in both of them for being so loving to each other but yeah and then so mean to each other at the same time i think that's why i like writing about families just because everyone thinks yes. they're doing the best or the best yeah. they can do in the moment but in someone else's story you might actually be the villain yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i lo- actually love reading that i like reading characters that are just human and they're not you know they're not good or bad there's no absolution in them they can they have the capacity to be good and bad and that's exactly how some far um so i like i that's why i kept saying i was like this is this like i had to go and check and it's just like is, is this a debut cuz i didn't <laughs> i didn't think it was i like I was, I was like get your facts right we're interviewing her it's a debut i was like okay i'm just saying i'm just saying like it doesn't feel like it i'm not that mean <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. But you were you were just looking out for me, Rosa. I know, Crystal. I wanted to also explore. Like you worked in publishing for so like long, and you know you've been an editor. How has like working in publishing experienced your like your work as a writer? 
And how do you plan to go forward? Are you, is that the parallel route as an editor and writer that you're going to keep taking? So starting to first question, I think being an editor was good and bad. Like, I think it has been good and bad for writing because, yeah, it means that I'm, I'm reading a lot. And I also mm-hmm. know the standard of books that come yeah. in in terms of when they get picked up. So I kind of knew the bar I was aiming for, essentially, and knew that I should kind of be yeah. writing something about about this level mm-hmm. but also it's still a job and it's still time consuming so it does take away time from writing and if you're not in like the best work environment and you're yeah. working while the outside of hours and of course that's taking up even more time so that's been the brilliant thing about being in a workplace now where the majority of my co-workers are also writers is that it's very much built with that in mind and we're very, yeah, we're very good at encouraging and supporting writers who, I guess we're good at supporting writers who are trying to develop into authors, which has been great. Are you going to keep writing in the future and, and being an editor? Like, is that going to happen work parallelly, you think? I think so. I think being an editor also means that I know, like, the negatives and how you can work on a book for years and it could go nowhere. And I also really enjoy editing, so I'm not quite ready to give it up yet, but a better work-life balance would be great. Yeah, and then write alongside it as well. Are are you working on anything new? Are you do you have any projects that you can can and want to talk about? (laughs) You sound like my editor. Um (laughs) (laughs) all right. When's your next one coming? (laughs) There there is another one coming. There is. It is probably going to be a little late, honestly, and I should let her know. Um Do you still have your writing group? Like, are you still going to, like, get feedback and stuff when you, like, that you had for the first book? Are you going to still keep up with that practice? Um, I'm actually part of a new writing group now, which has been, uh, yeah, really phenomenal. Actually, out of our group, three of us are all debut authors this year. Wow. It feels really incredible as well. And we're also all women of colour, and it's just really exciting to go through this together. Wow, that's so that's amazing. Cool. See, we should have yeah, them definitely. here, Dano. Yeah, definitely. yes, yes. Please let us know. We'd love to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, the other two authors who are coming out this year, are Jyoti Patel and Raj Varia. So, I was Jyoti thinking... Patel by signed by Murky yes, or yes, Dialog? Murky. Murky. Yeah. Yes, I saw the cover. And who's the other one? Raj Varia. She's with Orion. Oh, Her novel is The Daughters of Madurai. Nice. Wow. Okay, we got to... Crystal, I may, I may DM you to put, put us in touch. <laughs> I, I, I know for a fact you're going to love Jodi Patel. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm game, you know. I'm very easy. <laughs> oh, well, I also just wanted to give a lot of credit to, like, to just to the cover designer of Ruthless. That was... That was gorgeous, and it actually like gave the right sentiment. But I, I want to ask a very controversial question to you, Crystal. Uh-huh. Did you prefer the US one or the UK one? Oh no, that's like choosing what child I like. That's oh, that's oh, oh no. They're both so different. They really, are. I love them both. It's fun. I think. <laughs> I, oh, that's oh no. <laughs> 
It's okay. You don't have to answer. It was just a trick question. So um I I love both of them equally. That's what I would say. As a <laughs> oh, very diplomatic. Person. Very diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> Before we finish this interview, we would like you to recommend a book by a writer of color that you've loved and that you've gone back to, maybe in the process of writing this book or just something that you've loved so much that you would like to share with our listeners. Oh, that's a great question. Thank Does you. Does that have been newer book? No. Whatever you love. Can I do two? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, you can do ten. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you with two. Um, I absolutely loved a book I read last summer, I believe, called Memphis by Tara Stringfellow. Okay. Um, yeah, it was out. It's like that gorgeous orange cover um, and it was just a really, really stunning yes. book. I love people in publishing that tell you about a book and they're like, it's that cover that is orange. Yeah, and everyone, yeah, yeah. Really yeah. exactly when you said the cover, I knew. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, no one else will get it. It's like, it looks like this. You're like, oh yeah, I've definitely mm-hmm. seen that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another book I adore and keep reading um, would be a book called Ghana Must Go. I think I've read it at least three times now. It's an oldie. um, I think it came out in 2012. And it's very complicated. But it was just, it's another family story. It's basically what I write and what I love to read. So, yeah. Wow. Well, those are both really amazing recommendations. Thank you so much. We're going to put, obviously, details of Rootless, but also these books in our description. Thanks. Thank you for having me. For everyone that is listening, please, Rootless is coming out on the 16th of March. Shop from your local bookshop because in this podcast we love our local bookshops and hate Amazon. Uh, And it's available, sorry, I'm going to say it every single episode, you know. And it's available for pre-order now, so please pump those pre-orders up. And thank you so much for coming. This has been lovely. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Yeah, thank you so much. And you could probably tell Crystal that this book was really close to Rosa's heart. Like it really touched her. And she was very, very excited after that. And I don't know, maybe luckily for her and unluckily for me, my voice has given out today. But that just means Rosa could ask all her questions and get it out of the way. (laughs) But yeah, thank you so much, Crystal lovely having you and we will always have you over when your next book comes out and the one after yeah. that yeah thank we'll you. do we'll do them all <laughs> i will see you guys in future thank you for having me yay thank you bye